Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. It's good to be with you to teach today as well. And I want to welcome you back to our summer in the Psalms. This is a treasure trove that you hold in your hands, or maybe that you hold in your hands. (laughs) It really is. Particularly this wonderful playlist of 150 psalms that have been the praise and prayer book of God's people for many, many centuries. Through these 150 songs, psalms, we can hear ourselves speaking back to God. There's something unique about it. In some ways, you could say the 65 books of the Bible are God's speaking to, God speaking to us. And in some ways, this particular book, this particular collection, is our words then back to God. And through the Psalms, we remember what matters as we pray and as we sing these. And they're able to express often what we don't ourselves understand or we have a difficult time articulating. We can't put it quite into words. And yet, there it is in the Psalms. It kind of captures our heart or our emotion. Through the Psalms, we're given permission to be fearlessly honest with God, but also brutally honest about our pain or maybe exuberantly honest about our joy. Somehow in the Psalms, we're invited at times to scream, at other times to praise. Sometimes to weep, but also to rejoice in response to the God who's not only here, but really is listening, is aware, is attentive. And in the Psalms, we find every human emotion expressed, and yet also expressed to a God who welcomes that expression, who hears us, who himself then responds. I love the Psalms. I love the Psalms, and I hope that as you are traveling and engaging in the Psalms, even this summer, that you're feeling some of that too. Well, today I want to invite you into, just for a few moments, into one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 19. I'm hoping that today will be a little more interactive. I figured it'd be a smaller group today. So I thought, hey, why not? Let's talk, right? Be ready. But I'll start out by just letting you hear it. So I encourage you, if you have a Bible, to open it up. Uh, maybe even on your phone. Listen along. Psalm 19. Let's hear the whole thing right now as we begin. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. 
The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commandments of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What a psalm. Woo! You're excited just reading it. Could you tell? I just love it. But we want to be a little more interactive today. And so I would like to hear, just as the first blush, as you, you know, maybe you haven't heard Psalm 19 for a while, I just want to ask what you noticed about kind of big picture. Like, how does this psalm break down? How is it structured? How does it fall into parts? What stood out for you? Just shout it out very briefly, and I'll repeat it for those who are with us online so they hear your profound response. What did you notice about how this psalm is structured? How does it break down? The first part is about creation as God's voice to us. So that first part of the psalm is about the heavens, the stars, the sun. That's right. What else? Valerie has set you up. To, the first part is, so what would the natural? The second part is what? The law. About the law. That's right. About the Torah. And it uses a lot of different synonyms for it, but it's getting at the word of God, right? And it's very distinct there, part one and part two. Is there a part three? It kind of shifts about the author, the individual. Toward the end, all of a sudden, there's a shift to this personal petition. You know, uh, he, well, now I've got to look at it, sorry. Ah! Cleansing yeah, cleansing from sin. Keep me from willful sins. And I'll, so it changes. There's quite a distinct change in, in the, the voice. All of a sudden, the author is talking about the impact, right? The response, his, his response to, to this. So you all saw that? kind of breaks into two big parts and then this third responsive part at the end. Okay, with that big framework in mind, that's really helpful when you're doing Bible reading, whether it's in the Gospels and in the historical books and the prophets, is just step back and just say, what's going on here? What's some of the big picture stuff? Because it helps you then dig in more deeply. So let's read through part one again and go a little bit deeper with our observations. Part one. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. 
In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. What did you notice about this first part? Just little things that stood out to you. Now, when we're sitting in a Bible study class and we're talking about things, remember, you just throw out some general observations, things that you just notice. Um, You think, well, this isn't that profound. No, no. Just noticing what's there is very important and it gets your observational juices flowing, but helps you engage the text. So what did you notice about this first part? Shout it out. It's like an unspoken language. This, 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 what you're pointing out is, uh, I'm not sure what you mean by language of the heart, but it, the, the sense of like, there's no speech and yet there's obviously communication happening. And, and so how, how that connects with us, we'll, we'll get into that. But that sense of no speech, no voice, and yet there's a voice. It's going out into all the world, right? That's profound. What else? Right. There, that's very interesting. An allusion to Jesus in the bridegroom comment, which, of course, at the time of the writing of the psalm, that wouldn't necessarily... Well, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say that. The, uh, Yahweh likened himself into a bridegroom and his people, the, the bride. So that absolutely, Valerie. Um, and that came to fuller fruition in Jesus. But the sense of bridegroom and champion, two beautiful images for the son, uh, could also be pointing to the Messiah. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thanks, Val. What else? What else did you notice? It's, um, the heavens are a source of a variety of things. It's got uh, knowledge. This is knowledge, it's nice. There's the warmth of the sun that it brings out. Yep. It's, and it's regular Thanks, Peter. So you're talking about the, the sun and the heavens as a source of a variety of things. Knowledge, uh, warmth. Uh, there's, a, there's a faithfulness, a regularity to it. Um, it's always coming. It's always there. And so there's, there's something about uh, even the, the governance of the sun in the heavens that is being drawn out here. That's, that's another observation. Is it, it's the heavens declaring and the stars, but then there seems to be a focusing in this first part on one particular star, the sun, and the role the sun plays in our, in our universe, which is interesting because most of the stars out there um, don't have a lot of impact on us, but that star sure does, Right? Very direct impact on our lives. Nothing is a problem of our warmth. We know how solar-powered we are. Yeah. Other observations here? No one can miss it. Yeah, it's there. Even on a smoky day, it's there. It's there. No one can miss it. Um, it was kind of pointed out, uh, Peter, you mentioned that. Um, uh, the opening first couple of verses, there's a lot of active, like it's heaven's declaring uh, skies proclaiming. Uh, day after day, they pour forth speech. Um, night after night, they reveal knowledge. So there's a very active sharing that's going on from the heavens. That uh, th- That's some pretty amazing stuff when you think about glory, speech, knowledge, you know, the, the, the pointing to God, but also the way that they're sharing with us. It's quite active. 
even if, as it goes on to say, it's, it's wordless. It's, it's, it's got words, but it doesn't have words. It's, it's, it's got speech, but it's, it's not speech. And yet there's profound communication happening. Any other observations? It's very interesting that this particular psalm, now I'm, I'm touching on, on the second part, which we'll get into in a moment, but this particular psalm was quite a powerful, uh, motivational uh, psalm for uh, as Christians engaged in the natural sciences. Because what it talked about, and they would talk about it with the language of that God has two books. The book of creation, the book of the world, and the book of the, the word the word of God. And, and they would talk about it that way, that the sense in which God has two great books of revelation. And so they would motivate um, Christians who are involved in the sciences, natural sciences, astronomy, everything, but to, to recognize that there's a sense in which God's creation is itself declaring God's glory, is sharing knowledge, is actively communicating. And as people created in the image of God, given responsibility for creation, we can engage creation knowing that there's some communication going on even in that. There's some sense in which scientists who are involved in understanding the world that God has made, there's some sense in which, especially a scientist who has faith, is recognizing that they're, they're touching on, they're under, the more they understand the world that God has made from a position of faith, the more they understand the one who made the world. And so it was powerfully motivational, especially if you read through some of the writings in the work of, of the natural scientists emerging in the 1700s and 1800s, this was a powerful image of the, 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 that God had communicated through two books. And we need to be uh, attentive to both of them. And yet, we recognize here in part one that as communicative as the heavens are, people have not always been able to understand where to go with that what to do with that. Down through history, people have looked up at the heavens and what have they done? Often worshipped it. Worshipped the sun. Worshipped the moon. Set up, set up various things to try to communicate, not necessarily understanding that this was the God who created the world, who you know, rescued Israel out of Egypt. They didn't know that stuff. And so they had a hard time putting that into place, interpreting that properly. Do you remember that famous verse in Romans chapter 1? It talks about this actually. It talks about the communication of creation and yet our seeming inability to understand it properly, respond to it properly. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. God's creation is communicating something about him. Do we hear it? Well, that's part one. We'll still go a bit further as we keep moving. But let's read uh, part two, and and let's listen to this again and discuss together what we're hearing here in part two. Picking up in verse seven, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commandments of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They're more precious than gold. 
than much pure gold. They're sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. All right. What are some of your observations from this part two about the word, about the Torah, about the law? There's great reward. Yeah, yeah, that's a beautiful line. And I, I like how there's both, I, I wrote here, warning and reward. Like the, 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 the reflection and the, the Torah provides both the warning that we need and the reward that goes along with both obeying and disobeying. Yeah, beautiful. Thanks, Ren. Observations. What else did you notice about this? A source of joy. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's well covered. The law, the statutes, the precepts, the ordinances, the commands. It's, it's, it, it, there's a fully orbed. Now, what other psalm does it remind you of? Psalm 119. Man, it takes that and then just goes to the extreme, right? Because Psalm 119 is what? 100, what is it? 172 verses? 192? I don't know. It's, it's a lot of verses, and I think there's only two of them that don't explicitly mention the law, the Torah in some way. Pardon? 176. Thanks, Vicki. Um, and and, and uh, it's like, I, I, I think, um, I, I do read it monthly. It's on the 24th of every month, and I always have to gauge what's going on in my day so I have enough time to read it. Um, it's, uh, uh, there's a lot in there, and it, it, it reminds you of the, the ways, the different ways it can be expressed. It's so fully orbed. That's right, Val. Thanks for that. Other observations. There's parallelism between all those things. Are you specifically talking, Olin, about um, the parallelism between like line, I want to say line one and then line three or line one and two, like that kind of parallelism? Because what I noticed, I, did you see this? There's a, for, for much of this uh, second part, there's kind of a quality and then an effect mentioned. Is that what you're referring to, Olin? Okay, so also as it fleshes out the different things, there's parallelism between perfection, trustworthy, right? But did you notice how also, like, there's a statement about the quality of the law or the Torah of the word. The law of the Lord is perfect. And then it talks about the, the effect on a human being, the transformative, powerful effect of that perfect law of the Lord. It refreshes the soul. And then it talks about the statutes are trustworthy, the quality, the character, you could say. This is true of the statutes of the Lord. Making wise the simple. And you can just keep going through that. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. And so I love how there's this description of the law of God in these beautiful, powerful terms, but then it has this direct effect on us, on the reader on the one who delights in the law of the Lord. Uh, I, I should mention, there's three psalms that stand out as kind of an ode to the Torah. Um, and it's Psalm 119, obviously. It's Psalm 19, and it's Psalm 1. Uh, we started this whole series with Psalm 1, and I deliberately sang 
from uh, the poor Bishop Hooper's version of Psalm 1 during our communion to kind of allude to that. But those three psalms are, are together in that they're kind of Torah psalms. They're psalms just really highlighting the power and the delight and the beauty and the goodness of God's speech to us, his written uh, word to us. And here in this uh, portion, there's a, a holding up of the quality, the power, the goodness, but also it has this direct transformative impact on our lives. Refreshing our souls, making wise the simple, giving joy to the heart, light to the eyes. And then those last two, before he gets superlative, the last two, it seems to be just stating the quality and and it's more in reference to itself. It endures forever. Uh, Decrees of the Lord are firm. All of them are righteous. It's just amping up the quality. It's more precious than gold. Oh, but much more, more than, how do you, than much pure gold. So it's like, it's even better than that. I love how he goes for gold and he goes for honey. And he's amping up the quality and then it's like after all this quality, 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 then in verse 11, by them your servants warned and keeping them is great reward. So he talks about, again, the effect. But you can kind of see this alternate back and forth, highlighting the beauty and the goodness of God's law, but also the direct impact that has on our lives which kind of connects in an interesting way back to that first part. Because in the first part, we're told that, um, uh, you know, it's heavens declaring the glory of God and all that, and they're focused on the sun. And in particular, we're told, it's kind of, there's some language uh, connections between these two. Uh, but there's a sense in which the sun, nothing deprives it, uh, n- nothing is deprived of its warmth. Um, there's a regularity, a faithfulness to the sun. And then the word of God kind of takes that uh, role in our individual lives, giving light to the eyes, refreshing the soul, our source of, of, of life and goodness. Any other just obvious ones that you'd like to point out? Say that again, Roland. Desirable. Right, and more desirable than anything money could buy, whether that's gold or honey, the sense of pleasure or wealth, this has more value, more to be desired than that, which is beautiful. Janae. So Janae's just pointed out how there, there's a sense in which God's, I mean, you know, uh, C.S. Lewis talked about this, the sense that there's a, uh, a moral uh, compass, if you want to put it that way, sort of stamped on humans. We do our best to stamp it out often and ignore it, but God's word, both written on our hearts, but then revealed to the word, is, is perfect. And we either fall in line with it or we don't, and our lives suffer or, or are, are good, you know, depending on often how aligned we are to that. But I think what you're pointing out is the, the fact that there's a sense, even in people who haven't heard God's word explicitly, that both there is a God, but often there's a conscience. 
and, uh, and, and, and how God works that out is, is God's deal. But what we notice is, and this maybe is a nice segue to the next part, what we notice is whatever creation does communicate, we need more. There needs to be more explicit communication. And in some ways, that's what this psalmist is saying. He's holding up the heavens as declaring the glory of God, but he's also now holding up the word of God that is a more specific speech, a more specific revelation that together they're a powerful witness to God's presence and character and love. But often seen, for example, in Romans uh, chapter one, but even in this psalm, um, there's, you know, even, even at the start of this psalm, the fact that this communication is going out, but it's, it's, it's speechless in another way. It's, it's not as articulate Yes, it's declaring God's glory, but, but we know down through history that's often not been uh, easy to discern. What does that mean? How do I live right with that God? How do I respond to that God? We don't know. We don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. And it's often led people off in a lot of different directions. And so the Torah revealed when God enters into a covenant with Israel and gives his word to them, gives his law to them, he's revealing more of himself to this people so that through them, the world can come to understand there's a God who created the world, but also has engaged now in covenant with people. And ultimately, pointing toward Jesus, which, which we'll get to. But what we discover is, there's a sense in which this first part of the psalm, there's a focus on the magnificence, the perfection of creation's communication, and yet without words. In the second part, there's a focus on the magnificence and perfection of the creator's communication, but this time through the written word. And it has more power to change us, more effect on our lives. It isn't just warmth from the sun. It's giving light to the eye. It isn't just, it isn't just a sense of uh, th- there's a being that's caring for us, but now our souls are being refreshed. We're discovering God's ways and his character. There's an alignment. There's a response. There's a way that we can live in or out of the creator's will, which is highlighted again in Romans. Because what Romans tells us, and what the whole scripture tells us, is that that general revelation, which is what the theologians call it, they contrast general revelation with the, you know, the birds and the bees and the plants and the stars. General revelation, which is communicating God's character and his glory with what they call special revelation, which would be the written word of God, but ultimately Jesus Christ. Um, and, and so they contrast the two. The general revelation isn't quite enough. We need special revelation. We need something that can make it articulate. And we hear this in Romans. I'll just back up a little bit and read the same thing and then through. Romans 1, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people were without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor give thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. And we know how that went through history. They then worshiped those things. And so there's a sense in which, at least as Paul's reflecting in a much part of a much larger argument, there's a sense in which even though creation was communicating, humans weren't able to receive it. They weren't able to respond to it. They needed something more articulate. Not only the written word, but the word come flesh. The character of God is revealed through creation, and yet we can't grasp him properly because of our sin filters, 
because of our inability to respond. And so God goes further. He engages a people. He engages a family. He gives of himself to that family. He calls them out of Egypt. He rescues them from slavery. He gives them the law on Sinai. He promises them a land. He walks with them and calls them to live by his good word, knowing that this good word will lead them to life. That's the whole story of the Old Testament, friends. And one thing is super clear through Psalm 19. We have a God who is committed to revealing himself to his creation. Not only through the heavens, not only through the word, but ultimately by becoming one of us, human beings. Because we see, even in the psalm, there's a desire for more. It's in some sense not enough. As good as the written word is, and it is good, as, as good as the Torah is, and it is good, notice how this psalmist recognizes there's something wrong with himself, not with the word, with me. He says, by them your servant is warned and keeping them this great reward. Now we go on to finish it. But who can discern their own errors? Who can? Can you discern your own errors? Notice the shift to petition now. Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Isn't that the challenge we have? Isn't that the challenge that humans have? Is that we find ourselves caught in faults, willful sins, ruled over by other things, ruled over by addiction, ruled over by by wants and desires that lead us into destruction, ruled over by selfishness. He he cries out for some solution to his hidden faults, willful sins. He doesn't want them to rule him. He says, keep me from this. Then I will be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Transgression is always a reference to the law of breaking it. And then concludes with this beautiful call. May these words of my mouth, this meditation of my heart. And he's referring to the whole thing. Both talking about the, the, the world that God has made and the word that God has given. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The psalm, psalmist, in meditating upon God's revelation, both in the word and in the world, he realizes something troubling. I've got a problem. I've got a problem. Because as he reflects on the world, and as he reflects on the word, where does he go? It's sort of like, oh no. I'm in trouble. I need forgiveness. I need fixing. I'm out of sync. I mean, think of the power and the creativity and the the governance of a God who made this world, no matter where you look. As well, look at the word as he's revealed himself to us through the law. And then look at me. I mean, look at you. And we realize, I don't, I'm not, oh my goodness, I'm in trouble. I need forgiveness. I need correction. I'm, I, I'm not faithful the way the Son is faithful. I'm not faithful the way the Torah is faithful. I, I, I read and see and listen and I realize I need help. I need redemption. I need to be innocent and yet I'm not. 
I want to be blameless, but how? And even here in Psalm 19, with all of its beauty and grace, whether it's the stars or the scriptures, there's a pointing forward to the greatest revelation of all that's coming. When Jesus Christ himself would come, the word of God made flesh. Or maybe if you're thinking of Psalm 19, it's the word of God being made part of the world that God made so that he could be the righteousness that we were unable to be. We recognize when we look at the world and we look at the word, there's a sense in which we see rightness, right? A world that's right and a word that's right, but I'm not right. How do I get right? And ultimately, the whole story tells us that God himself, the right God, the righteousness God, the God who is righteous, heard even this petition, but came as one of us. Our rock and our redeemer comes to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. To meet this cry of this psalmist, the cry of our hearts to be made right, to be fixed, to be solved somehow so that sin doesn't rule over us, so that death doesn't rule over us, that Jesus came as an answer to that cry, responding to our need, but also to the Father's heart, the one who made this world and wants it to be set right again. I think this is what the author to the Hebrews was reflecting on at the very beginning. This is how he starts his big letter. He said, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and many times and in various ways. And in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. But now listen to what he does with this. Appointed heir of all things. And through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. He's captured both the sense of the heavens and the, the, the stars, the universe there, but also the word, the communication. But it's all culminating in the coming of the Son, Jesus Christ. Radiating God's glory, representing his being perfectly, sustaining all things by his powerful word after he had provided, this is, I'm just reading what's next, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, which means job done. Psalm 19 holds this up for us, that the communicating creation, the communicating creator, ultimately comes in the person of Jesus to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, enabling us to both hear and see this speechless word from creation, to celebrate that we can look at the world around us and know the God who created this, that we can pick up the word of God and have it be joy to our heart, refreshing our soul, light to our eyes, transforming our lives by the Holy Spirit because Jesus Christ himself came as the very living word of God to step into creation, to take our place, to cover us over and offer his life for us, his rightness for us so that we find ourselves no longer saying, I'm, I'm out of sync We can still say that and recognize that, but recognizing the more powerful truth that in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation for those who are in him. That Jesus is the one perfectly in sync with the Father. And as we align ourselves with him, we're covered over by his righteousness and his grace.
Well, how does Psalm 19 leave us to respond to this God who's revealing himself, who's revealed himself through word, through world, and ultimately through Jesus? I think as we close, the word I'd like to leave you with today is attentiveness. There's something about Psalm 19 that calls me to be attentive, to grow in my attentiveness. Yes, to grow in my attentiveness to the world at large. There's, in some sense, all of us should be amateur naturalists. <laughs> that, that there's a sense in which we walk around with a sense of wonder as we come to know the world that God has made and recognize this is an expression of our creator's character. This is bringing glory to God, whether you're looking at the dirt and seeing a worm or looking up at the sky and seeing, I was going to say a wormhole, but if you see a wormhole, you should let someone know. Ah! Wherever you look, creation is declaring the glory of God, and we can be attentive to that. Songbirds, animals, the very people that we're around. So there's a sense in which Psalm 19 calls me to be more attentive to the world. Of course, Psalm 19 in, invites me, challenges me in, to be more attentive to the word that is written down. To soak in things like Psalm 1, Psalm 19, Psalm 119. Notice you put 1 and 119 together, you get 119. This is easy to remember. Those three Psalms that just, they continually remind us of how good this word is. I need to be attentive to it. I want to grow in my attentiveness. I want to see. Psalm 19 has this beautiful prayer. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. That that becomes the kind of prayer, the kind of desire, that we become more attentive to the word of God written down for us. But also that we become more attentive, that I become more attentive to Jesus, to the word made flesh, to the one who's made me right, to the one who has conquered death for you and for me. More attentive to his presence among us by the Spirit. More attentive to him as we worship more attentive to him as we walk, as we work, wherever we are during our days, that we become a people who are attentive. And that's the word that Psalm 19 leaves me with and I hope you with today. Let's pray. Holy Spirit of God, we recognize that in all these things, it is because you wanted us to know. You wanted to reveal yourself to us, reveal your Father to us. It's the only reason why any of us are here today. The only reason why any of us have ever heard anything is because you wanted us to know. And we thank you and praise you for that. Thank you for being a God who reveals himself through the creation around us. Through this beautiful word given to us, preserved for us. And through the coming of Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us and for the world. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would make us attentive, an attentive people to you. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. 
You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.